Hey everybody, welcome to The Cinema Nerd Presents, the filmography of Amy Heckerling. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with James to talk about Loser James, who is probably the coolest dude I know. Can you tell me what is Loser? Oh man, uh, so I, I didn't look up the time, but it feels very, and obviously from the actor, it feels very American Pie, Road Trip, election you know those films that came out at that time i'm assuming yeah i don't know Uh, if election belongs in that camp but i can't remember that one maybe uh, not fair enough that's all good um yeah that's a yeah it's it's a a complicated film for me like because it's got a lot of bad bits (laughs) like uh it's it's bleak but with the face of a comedy. Yeah. But, uh, like, so it's, it's, I'm watching it and there's humorous bits, I guess, but like most of it is horrible people being horrible, like truly evil. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then the, the protagonist I can truly associate with because he's, he's the voice of reason in a, like in a stupid evil world, but it's, it's intense because. And it's intense. Yeah because of what it ultimately is about but it's very strange how the movie sort of refuses to be about that and like you yeah, said yeah. just kind of wants to be this splashy 90s comedy and it's That's right it, well, we'll, it wants to be it wants to be can't hardly wait yeah or, like but it's not like it's it's <laughs> it's, it's way much more american beauty yeah um, yeah but i I did not see it coming. So basically, I basically the first reveal of what was going on, I was, oh, that's awkward. That sounded a bit like this awful thing happening. And I'm like, well, that's obviously not happening because this is a comedy and these people are, you know, a jovial misfits, not, yeah. not horrible, evil people. But then you kind of realize they are the, the bad guys, which... To their credit, they kind of frame it that way by the end of the film. You do realize they are truly evil, and then they get their comeuppance in the credits. But <laughs> Yeah, in the credits. And they, they do, the movie works hard to get <laughs> the audience there, but it, it's sort of like we were just talking about before we hit record. You don't put in that work up front, it's going to be harder to pull off in the end, yeah. and it's not going to work as well. And I think that's kind of what we ended up with here. But before we get into all of what Loser is. Sorry, I just leaned straight in. Yeah. No, yeah. it's fine. Because they're really, I'm looking forward to unpacking it because I felt really pretty similarly. But have you seen anything else you want to talk about? Any other movies? I, I have. But I mean, I, I probably always want to talk about this film. Um, <laughs> we watched Blues Brothers. Oh, okay. And I just can't believe how good that film is for me. I mean, I don't know if it's a watchable film for people who didn't grow up with it. I, I think it is. It's unbelievable. Uh, like cameos upon cameos of unbelievable music stars. Sure. And the, the, the story is madness. Like it's not, it's kind of a road trip movie. Yeah, it's but, just a road zany comedy, right? Yeah, but it's just, I really enjoy like, they kind of lean into the cool, but they do it so well. Like, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy the Blues Brothers. Uh, right I can't believe, you know, like when you've got John Lee Hooker busking on the street and then Aretha Franklin running a chicken shop and then 
uh, Ray Charles is the piano salesman. And is that true? Yeah, like, and it's legit these people yeah, singing of songs. And it's, you just can't believe it. And then I think, like, because I'm, I'm not old enough for it, but I think the entirety of the Blues Brothers band are all famous members of other bands, I think. Because sure. the way they introduce them, they're like introduced in like a, oh, the, you know, anyway. Yeah. It's, that it's kind of way when you're watching a Muppets movie and they do the cameos and you're like, I don't know who this person is, but I can tell by the language of cinema. Yeah. They're very important. That's right. Right on. Um, so if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time, give it a watch because it's very, at least musically, it's very easy to watch. Okay. Um, and there's, they don't, uh, they don't try to frame it in reality. So there's, it's almost airplane kind of level of something can explode and then they, like the entire building collapses and then they just dust themselves off and then get back <laughs> in the car and walk off. Like, so it's, um, I haven't seen it absurdist. in years, but, but I, I'm looking forward to giving it another view because you're, you're yeah. selling on it. Uh, how about you? What have you been watching? A uh, couple of things I will run down real quick. Oh, I watched Muriel's Wedding. Oh, yeah. Have right. you seen this one or yeah. when was the last oh. time you saw it? Australian, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of appropriate to what we're talking about with Loser because Muriel's Wedding is a fucking bummer, man. Yeah. That movie is just like punches to the gut after kicks to the groin after slaps yeah. to the face it just never stopped not a comedy <laughs> no it's yeah. not a comedy it's the uh, saddest movie they, they frame it once again they they put on the trailer oh you're the worst muriel and everyone's like laughing and then you watch the movie and you're like oh my god the world is fucking bleak and everything's shit Truly, man yeah. and even the yeah. amazon description is you know in this uproarious heartfelt comedy i don't how did they whatever <laughs> so it's a bummer of a movie but obviously the cast is so so good and i just it's will, well written it's well written and well acted i think like I isn't think it? It's very well acted i don't know that i'm going to go with you on saying it's well written because it there is almost nothing but oh. emotional manipulation there, there's oh, okay. very little real character development and mm -hmm. even where there is it's hard to say they feel like honest decisions. And again, when they even do feel like honest decisions, it's just such a bad decision and a fucking yeah. bummer that um, you're just like, I don't like any part of this, well, you know? Yeah, so it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I just remember like it having gravity. So I assume, yeah, okay, I'll go, I might give it another watch one time when I'm feeling self-loathing-ish enough to... There's... There, we need a phrase for like the dramatic, you know, the, I guess tearjerker is the phrase, but what I'm thinking is like the analog to the jump scare. This is yeah. just, you know, a, a heartfelt jump scare. It's not, you know, yeah. it has gravity because the only thing that's happening is just heavy shit all the time. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's like Dancer in the Dark. Dancer in the Dark for me was built entirely to make me sad <laughs> the entire film they you you watch it and you realize that even the happy moments of the film are there only to to like accentuate how sad the sad moments are so they put a happy moment in, out from under you just so they can pull the rug out and show you how sad things can be 
yeah so it's like that okay yeah wow. yeah yeah i mean that was kind of my response so i didn't super love it um, okay but i, I mean, oh. i'm glad i watched it on that I, same note i watched um the hours okay uh good film acting yeah. is unbelievable um julianne moore is one of my favorites man <laughs> yeah she's amazing but you know nicole kidman knocks it out of the park she knocks a lot of things out of the park for me lately, actually. Like, it's funny. Um, I kind of hadn't remembered that she's good because she's, she's, she's got the Brad Pitt problem where she's too attractive for me to remember that she's an amazing actress. But yeah. um, there's a TV show called... Oh, what is it called? Oh, is it Big Little Lies? Big Little Lies, yeah, yeah. She, she does a really good job in that for me. And then The Hours, she's she's made up so you can't really even remember that it's her but she does a really good job of getting across the like the the descent of her character into like okay yeah it's a depressing film <laughs> again, but. and that's uh, the reason for the season yeah she's nicole kidman's interesting because she's sort of like constantly underrated even though she's won a bunch of uh, oscars we're yeah. all sort of reminding ourselves like, oh yeah, no, she's great. And when you run down her filmography, there's like, I don't know, maybe a couple of misses. Bewitched is fucking weird. But other than that, I, you yeah. know, was yeah. she in Stepford Wives? Was that her? Maybe not. Um, it had a big cast, so it would be, <laughs> you can imagine. I can remember there being like about four or five big names in that one. Yeah, she was, she was definitely Mrs. Stepford, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's it. Basically, I watched it and was just impressed with Julianne Moore, Nicole Gibman, and obviously, um, <laughs> I've forgotten her name, but she's super, super famous. <laughs> oh, uh, Margaret Thatcher. No, <laughs> okay, I can look it up. Uh, Meryl Streep. <laughs> the Iron yeah. Lady herself. Yeah, so Meryl, Meryl Streep is unbelievable. She does, a, you know, they all do a really good job of kind of framing that that despair but it's yeah it's cool it's cool framing the uh, way of doing it too where you're kind of you're getting the person whose emotion you're seeing while she writes the story and then you're kind of getting the framing of the sto the story in one of the frames and then the other frame you think is the story but it's actually like how it came to be sure it's really a weird it's well written good film cool. but a bit, bit depressing right on well yeah. kinda, the last one i'll talk about is uh <laughs> right in between the the few movies that we've talked about in terms of like emotional gut punches and their effectiveness i watched a street cat named bob do you know oh, about this movie yeah. have you seen this thing but is it a it's a reenactment like like a drama dramatization of a real life yeah exactly the, the yeah. yeah the busker oh, yeah. and he the he's a recovering heroin addict and this cat happens into his life and then it's a who rescues who kind of scenario from there and it's another one where the movie it like it, it just is like basic beats basic beats basic beats of the lifetime movie that you've seen ten thousand times but because it's about a cat and a musician, I just found it really watchable. I was like, fine, this is okay. I, I, I think that was the general thing was it was one of those stories 
but everyone found it super easy to watch because <laughs> there's a lovable cat character and a guy who's down on his luck and he's the underdog and he kind of you know he makes it because there's a reason to tell the story right. <laughs> exactly and because we're i mean there's that whole basic conceit of it but also once you get the cat involved it's like well we can't lose the cat and the heroin addict you know <laughs> it's too much to ask for somebody to take take on what is this muriel's wedding we're not making yeah. the most depressing Trier. movie in the history of time here Las Trier would do it <laughs> <laughs> I, oh man M Muriel's Wedding, directed by Lars von Trier, is now a movie I want to see. That actually might work. I, yeah, there's not much further to go now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I would not watch Lars von Trier's A Street Cat Named Bob. That would just fuck me up. <laughs> Too far. Too far. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's a little bit of what I've been watching. Should we talk about Loser in a little more detail? For sure, for sure. So well, let's do let's get it out there because we kind of like started there. We started from the ending, and it's like the thing to talk about. The plot revolves around date rape and like a group of date rapists who are date raping a lot of women, and Mira Sorvino is nearly a victim of them. Uh, like basically, they lose track of her, but they definitely wanted like. It, it was just by happenstance that she evaded the right. most horrific thing possible. Like there wasn't even like a, a saving moment. It was just. They, they just, they fridge her is the, the term that I've heard in feminist thought. They like literally just put her in a box and set her aside so that the moment in the movie that demands agency, she's not even present for in a movie that's like the device is about her not being present for it. So to remove her even further from the Rohypnol, it just is like the craziest decision, man. Yeah. I don't know who wrote this. Let, that's a good question. Do you have that pulled up? I'm just looking it up now. Uh, because is it... I found myself asking... Amy Hickling wrote this film. It's a, it's a crazy film. Uh, is she the only credit on this? Well, the written by is... Uh, <laughs> I can look up on a, like IMDb. Um, <laughs> it's hard to believe that a, a woman made this. Like, exactly. Am I crazy to say that? No, no, because that was one point I was going to bring up was before I looked it up, I was going to say whoever wrote this either has some bad ideas in their head or has had some horrible things happen to them and they think it's not as bad as, you know, like I just don't, I, you have to justify this somehow to make it. And I'm like, did they have something awful happen to them or their friends and they justify it? Or have they done awful things? Or I don't know, because it, it's awful. It's awful. And it is probably some combination of those things. I guess I took a more generous okay. view, which is that like, you know, getting a movie made is hard and being a, a woman in Hollywood is even harder. And so to make a comedy, a studio comedy means studio interference. So I could see a lot of just sort of falling flat in the argument, in the development phase of I mean, it. Okay. So there are positives to this. Like, so I'm watching this film and even though the main character is knocked down a lot and is actually treated 
poorly by the framing of the film right but at many many times him and his family say the right thing and do the right thing and are truly the like the only logical character like the advice the father father's like uh to to be interesting is to be interested like what a great piece of advice it's like just care about people and then people care about you yeah and be genuine and he's never and jason biggs is never less than genuine he's a little you know awkward at points and sort of maybe fastidious but even then it's the movie positions him as the titular loser but never demonstrates him really being anything other than genuine and like learning and being a pretty i don't know man so is it and he rolls with the punches so he gets knocked down and he just kind of moves to a different position and then just wins at that position like he's totally not a loser kind of ever but but in the in the ethos of the movie everyone's a kind of self-righteous greedy awful person so from their point of view he's a loser but i think the movie even agrees with that so that's why i'm confused because the movie feels like it agrees with the greedy people like the viewpoint anyway well and that's where we get the like maybe the haircut at the end where jason biggs takes off the bangs and looks a little more 2000s i think speaks to your point about the movie framing him as being an actual loser and finally getting with the times but the haircut that he had to begin with was like a pretty popular haircut at that time you know and he he yeah okay so positive notes again soundtrack really frames the movie in the time like having everclear present because i like being being a nerdy teenage i just i enjoyed everclear so you see them in the comp you know like i totally i have loved some pop punk and i miss pop punk and this movie i mean it starts with a banger teenage dirtbag it's got weeded yeah man and then there's like some what's that it opens with weeders has blink maybe it has there's a blink song in there and then I don't know who there's, it's still at that party. There's another like kind of medley of pop punk songs throughout there. But then there's a few, I, there's one choice in particular that I felt, oh, it was, you know what? It's pretty fly for a white guy is in here. And yeah. that feels like, uh, I don't know if we needed that one. But it is, it is played while you're getting introduced to douchebag number one. Yeah. So yeah. You have been- you haven't been introduced to the three douchebags properly. Like, well, I say douchebag, but I'm saying like actual. No, horrible, monstrous. Like, like, I don't know what they are, but yeah, like, yeah. They're predators. They're, they're predator, bad bio yeah. people. So predator one. Um, but it, yeah. Um, blue. Blue is in the song. In the, that was very Dabu da. Yeah, so I think there are some maybe not as strong choices as, as there are in some of her other movies, but in the ability to encapsulate the time, yeah. she really is on track here. She's, she's adept with the soundtrack. Heckerling really has a sense of like the pulse of pop music. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that works. Speaking of things that don't work, is Mira Sorvina doing a New York accent? 
yeah, I don't know what I don't know what happened in that actually because okay. we can move past it. It just felt like we needed to point it out. Yeah. Okay, but here's a bigger problem, uh, and again, I think where this movie just never. It's not saying anything, right? It it feels really intellectually bankrupt, just hollow. That it doesn't take a position about whether this behavior is good or bad or needs to be condemned and who are the losers. And so early on, when Jason Biggs is getting like kicked out of the the frat house or however that situation is working and moving into the the veterinarian's office, I guess, which uh, is an amazing bit of writing like if you have like like i i like that kind of surprise like now i live at a vet like i never see that coming so that's great but they just didn't use it and then they kind of did some really weird stuff where like they had a party but the animals were all in danger and i was really like like panicking and all the party goers were like playing with the animals while they're drunk and i was, I was very stressed out also it was upsetting yeah. <laughs> no, and it's so it, it, that it's like studio notes. The reason that happens is because studio notes. But to just to finish this point, when he's getting kicked out of that house, and they meet with the counselor, and the dudes tell him the stories like, "Oh, he's a horrible racist, and he shits on the walls, and uh, we hate him." And then Jason Biggs is like, "Yep, that's all true. Can't wait to get out of this house." Is the counselor reading that as like, okay, I'm not going to dive into what's actually going on here. I'm just going to separate these people. I, I would have liked that to be framed better because otherwise the counselor was hearing that they've got a, a like a maniac. Right. An actual racist. like demonic presence on their campus. And he's just like, well, we'll just a private room. Yeah, I don't... I don't know what that was, and it, it yeah. Once again, yeah, it's it's tough because he's getting like the first time he realized that they all hate him, hate him was that moment, and then he leans into it because he's like, yeah, fuck it, I'm out of here. And I mean, then, I guess if he's on the Regent Scholarship, he is like the smartest guy in the room, yeah. right? Yeah. But even still, it just feels like a crazy ass decision for everybody to make in one second. Yeah. And it just, it feels like, yeah, because the movie really doesn't have a position. I want to make an argument about why that might be. Because the movie is more interesting. Uh, and when it's interested in Mira Sorvino, it's when it's her story, there are stakes, right? And there are stakes for Jason Biggs. I guess he's going to lose his scholarship, but there's no like real human intention because uh, ostensibly he's trying to ingratiate himself into this group of rapists right so we don't want that to happen and then we do want him to get together with Mira Sorvino but mostly I just kind of want Mira Sorvino to figure her shit out so it's like well get the fuck away from Greg Kinnear I wanted her to get away from Predator number four like you know because he's basically using his position of power yeah. To kind of, to kind of uh, like, not quite gaslight, but like he's, he's kind of pretending like he cares about her more than she knows. Buddy, you're saying a lot of kind ofs and almost, and I just want to strike all of those modifiers. He is absolutely using his power to gaslight her 
it's yeah. an abusive, manipulative relationship. Yeah, but it's definitely abusive. I just don't know if gaslighting is the right. But like, he's he's a his position of power means that she doesn't even realize she doesn't have a choice in that situation. Sure, you know, and like he speaks to that at one point, and then the movie just moves beyond that. Like it, yeah. I it never takes a stance, and it's making me crazy to say it out loud over and over yeah. and over again. And um, and then. Yeah, like he gets blackmailed, but like it doesn't do anything. And then the main character kind of gets tied in, and you're like, "What's this gonna do?" But then he comes, you know, he he finds out, and he's like, "Oh, I'm not part of that." But right. it's kind of a weird reveal, and everyone kind of just takes it, yeah, whatever, loser, <laughs> you know. And I don't know, man. It's a weird. It's all film. very soft, you know. Everybody's reaction to everything is very tepid, and it's not heavy enough to be dramatic and it's not funny enough to be light or twee or it, it does here. So I got one more pitch, which is that I think Heckerling came in with probably a really interesting um, sort of something with the energy of like maybe go or, you know, they kind of like just below studio system indie kind of script and then because it's amy heckerling who made clueless the studios studioed it up and we gotta get in you know the the teen heartthrobs from the other movie and uh let's line about whatever and smash in some stuff about these bros because that'll be hilarious and yeah so do you think she wrote like a deeper film like a like a fast times kind of modern fast times that's and then, i'm putting my head cannon on that because i respect so much of her work so much more that i'm just like i don't yeah. this can't be what you wanted to say no yeah um it because that the the studio trying to make american pie 2 is what it felt like yeah you know? i don't even know if this was before or after american pie sorry but um even right just, after this is 2000 and american pie was i think 99 but maybe 98 Okay, yeah, because it it felt like it was wanting that energy, but the story does not fit it, and you're you're kind of I think even okay, so like late late nineties, early two thousands, even then the storyline is heavy. Yeah, right. Like oh, yeah. When, when it's not like it's not like the eighties where coked out stories and everything's a bit crazy. You kind of you get these weird framing, like yeah. the Bernies where. You soullessly use the body of your boss to just get ahead. <laughs> it, it's 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 at a time where you can understand that this is horrific. So yeah, it's weird, man. Um, and also, Heckerling doesn't you know play that kind of pastiche when even when she's doing like Clueless is uh, well, I mean, at this point of what we've seen, Johnny Dangerously is her most like over the top slapsticky thing. Yeah. But even that withstanding, Clueless is maybe outwardly the most uh, flashy, right? But that movie has a lot on its mind and makes its point very well. And so does Look Who's Talking. And so does Fast Times at Ridgemount. And the through line between all of those is like really human decisions by characters in fairly human situations. And yeah. here it seems fairly human but none of the decisions 
resonate with any sense of heart. And I, I, it's really hard to resolve yeah. the thematics with the rest of her filmography. So there's a there's a funny like there's lots of cameos of uh, people. Yeah, I mean like uh, people you recognize from other films, like uh, David Spade. Yeah. <laughs> It's just the video store guy. Um, so I quite like David Spade. And then there's the other guy who I always confuse with David Spade, who I hate. And his name is uh, Andy Dick. <laughs> and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know anything about the guy. But when he shows up in movies, there's just something that puts me wrong with that guy. Like, I don't like him. It's a, it might be the character he plays, but there's something about him that just rubs me the wrong way. So he was in the movie for like a minute and I was like, I hate this movie even more now. <laughs> but, Fair enough. I, the difference for me between those two people is that David Spade, I would party with until like midnight or maybe even one or two, you know? But if I'm at a party and Andy Dick is at that party, I am leaving that party. Like just instantly, I'm just like, oh no, fuck this energy. I don't want to be here. Yeah, is that, I don't know, that must be it. Like he's just... Something makes really, you nervous, man. Something wrong about that guy. Anyway, uh, so I saw that cameo in it. But, uh, like, so I'm watching the film. There are, there are moments where I'm enjoying, I, like, like I said, I really enjoyed um, Dan Aykroyd, the dad. I think he's the, he's a good dad. He gives he's a good great dad advice. with great advice. And, and, the, and the, the son's like, man, things are not working out. And he's like, mate, you're going to have your heart broken wherever you are in the world. You might as well do it in the coolest city in the world. Like, you know, just like be heartbroken, find something else to do. You'll be heartbroken here and we're in the countryside. Like, you know, I thought that's, that's cool. Like he, he, totally. kept, he spoke like a, like truth <laughs> in a film where no one was making any sense. So it was, um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I don't have much to add, man. I, I feel, I think, <laughs> mostly all the same ways yeah yeah we do agree <laughs> but but it's yeah I, I tell you like it was watchable there's the other side of that coin where uh some of some films that fail poorly i i, I get quite un like unable to watch anymore whereas this film i was looking at the screen the whole time i wasn't yeah i wasn't I wasn't pausing and going off to like have a breather and you know, get, get a sandwich. Um, no, I didn't have to like walk away from it, but I knew I was going to be talking about it in the immediate term. It's a good looking movie. There's some stuff that like really does kind of rub me the wrong way. Like I, honestly, I'm not generally a fan of Mira Sorvino, although I do really like her in American Pie. I think she's underrated there. And I think she's really great in, uh, yeah, American Beauty, she's also very good in. But she's really doing something in American Pie, the teen sex comedy. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I, I, this New York accent thing and, like, a lot of her wardrobe and her, the, the hair choices, again, it feels like studio note, where it was like, oh, yeah, like, kind of goth is in right now. So make, make sure she's got fringy bangs or, I, you know. Yeah. And Greg Kinnear... The, I think the reason the movie works for me at all is because Greg Kinnear is such a shitty asshole and he's so good at being smarmy yeah. that I'm like, all right, well, at least I'm watching Greg Kinnear be a shitty asshole. That's usually fun. He's actually good in this. Like, yeah, to, to his credit, he really fits that role. He's not, 
it's a little bit of caricature, but not as much as the other people. Like the other people are are like like little Adolfs running around, whereas he's he's kind of that self righteous professor who yeah thinks the world of himself. But you know, he's maybe the most believable character in the movie. And I don't know if that's Greg Kinnear or like that that there are so many professors like that. But yeah, that that tracks for me. Oh, anyways. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's that's the film. <laughs> it, I hadn't seen it before. I didn't actually know what I was coming into, uh, and yeah, it was very surprising what it was. It was nothing like what I thought I was going to be watching. I honestly thought I was watching Road Trip to like <laughs> the the uh, the cooling. <laughs> you know like um but it was definitely uh hey watch out for that rape culture kind of you know like i don't know <laughs> no, that's, that's i can't not let it go because it's not even not really. watch out for rape culture it's just like and, and rape culture is also present but we don't mind that much and that's not really what we're here to talk about even though it's most of what makes the plot go it's probably the thing that I had the most problem with was that the, they didn't kind of ever say this is this is terrible and you know like they they kind of were like yeah it happens is what the framing felt like it felt like the movie was like you know that whole date rape thing it happens and it's like no no it doesn't like it definitely shouldn't happen and everyone should be in jail and they talked about how they got their comeuppance by like getting done over by a company or somebody didn't like right. whatever but i'm like they should be in fucking jail because technically as far as i can tell they didn't succeed with mina but they succeeded with over and over and over again yeah there's serial rapists um and the thing that it the comedy like insane satire skewering can work maybe I'm not, you know, this is a, it's a big swing to do like a wild ass rape comedy, but I'm not going to say it can't work, but they didn't do that either. They didn't give me enough to like have me believe that this is an episode of maybe like Futurama does the college episode skewering really well where the final credits let you know that everybody was at, I don't know, man. It's just not enough. It's not enough. Give me more rape jokes. I hate this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and there's like the meat cute stuff doesn't work necessarily. I, I don't know. Like, but yeah, all of that. Like, it no, because she should be so fucking sad. And like, she when when she wakes up sixteen hours later in a stranger's bed, and she's just like, oh, okay, I guess that's cool. Whatever. I am only gonna say more. Oh my god, that. yeah, I didn't even remember that. But she says, oh, I guess someone slipped me a roofie. And then she moves on with her fucking life. And I'm like, why is she not like panicking? Because this is fucking serious. And she doesn't even know if it was him who slipped it. You know, like she doesn't know this guy. So what is this fucking, like, we know he's not shit, but. But yeah, she anyway. doesn't know. And the people who do know is the, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah we've said it all. Uh, yep. This movie's a loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's